Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, the former Hoosier who was out and about, I'm assuming still is, listening to the show. 107.5 The Fan, also 93.5 The Fan. He is Dane Five. Where are you right now? You know what? I'm just leaving Bargersville. Listen, listen to that voice. I could do. I could do the pajama gram. You could too. Are you? Are you under the weather? Or are you just battling some laryngitis? No, I think I'm moving that way. I'm moving towards maybe a cold, chest cold. Yeah. But it's not going to keep me from watching the Hoosiers tonight. That's right. what I'm doing. I'm in Bargersville picking up some free tickets. I'm too cheap to pay for any. I bet I know where you're going for those tickets too, aren't you? That exactly. I know where you're going. Yeah. I know you. I knew your ETA, and I know where you're going to uh, to watch that. What? Look back on the past two with Arizona and Kansas in mind, um, and you know I, I sit here and say, well, you know, you know, uncompetitive in, in a lot of both those games, and especially that Kansas game. But what really came across to you as things that need to improve for this team? <clears throat> well, you got to be at your best going into those two games, and you got to be uh, with your full roster. Arizona, they didn't have Huchifino. And then Kansas, they didn't have – they kind of – Johnson got hurt early and Huchifino's coming back. Uh, and there's a reason why there's – most power fives aren't going to Kansas and playing in a non-conference game. I mean, you hear all the time, Cal, you know, at Kentucky's going to do neutral sites. Krzyzewski, same scenario. And there's a reason for it. Um, but, you know, what do they have to do to improve? Well, their offense has to start meshing. And that means um, that has to do with part of it with with trying to get Hood Shafino and Johnson playing together, um, mixing in Galloway. And you also have – you've got your bigs with Trace and Race, but Malik Renew um, isn't going to be an important part of this. You know, if you look at their top eight – it's it's the five starters, assuming Johnson were in. And then you have Renew, you've got Galloway, and you've got probably Bates. And the offense takes time. And what I saw at Kansas is I saw the inept offense spilling over into the defensive end. And for those that, well, their defense has gone down. Well, you know, it's natural, naturally human to when you struggle on offense, then it carries over to the defensive end. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think everybody out there has been been through that because I'm I'm assuming most people out there on some level uh, played hoop, and that that does naturally affect the other side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think you played JV uh, uh, <laughs> uh, up until your junior year, right? Exactly. And then uh, exactly, I lit I lit that blank up though. Let me tell you, buddy, it's not like I was playing in Michigan or some clown state like that. All right, I'm not going to take that. I am not going to take that. That's ridiculous. Uh, I know way, it. It's good to be on your show. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I've I'm been gl- begging. I've been begging. And it's <laughs> amazing when people jump off ship. I get fired. Now I'm not asked to come on your show. You I had know. to beg you to come on this time. You know, you know better than that. So it's a Dane Five is. Uh, <laughs> 
is with us. I I curious because you get Elon tonight. You're obviously going to that game. They're coming off playing two uh, top ranked teams to those blue blood type of programs. Um, what can you learn from tonight? Assuming they play much better against a team that's not even close to as good as the last two compared to anything at all that you can come across as learning? Because people all the time, Dane, talk about, well, you know, there was a learning experience there. Because uh, that's something else basketball-wise. To me, if you get to pants someplace, I don't know. I never thought you were learning too much out of it. But can there be something taken from a depancing like what took place Saturday? <laughs> I like that. Depants. Yeah. They got, well, they got depants for sure. There's no doubt. Well, I think confidence is lacking right now. Everybody's second-guessing themselves, including the staff. And I think it's a chance for the for the, the program to go back, reassess, reevaluate. And then they've got, you know, we've got a couple games here before the Big Ten. Um, there's some time off in between. And really get a, get a lay of the land moving forward because – the objective was to see where how you, how you measure up against some of the top programs and then give your guys some experience. And, you know, to go into the fog and play, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's even more difficult than maybe the NCAA tournament because everybody's against you and everything's stacked up against you. I know we're, we're minus two and a half or whatever. You know, we weren't necessarily supposed to lose by that much, but um, you learn a lot, and you learn a lot about your players. You know, we're going to see now because now it's your guys, they're probably starting to feel the heat, and it's a different kind of heat than any of them ever felt at IU. And it's a different kind of heat because now it's, all right, well, we're, we're supposed to win and we're supposed to do all these things. Well, this isn't this isn't going right. And it's, it's a great opportunity to step work on the things that perhaps they're really struggling with, get things put together and get some momentum going into the big 10 season. So Dane five with us via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. I was talking to Greg Rakestraw. I think you heard that with uh, Florian Badunga, uh, the kid from Kokomo, you were a part of that broadcast the other day, and and Greg brought up your comparison to Sean Kemp. I've not seen the kid live. I've I've just seen all the highlights. But how impressive at the high school level as a junior is he? Well, you know, I saw him block three shots literally with his armpit, <laughs> and, and I I just couldn't believe the energy, the the motor. I call him Big Flow. I don't know if – don't tell him that. I, it might be already – Well, you're telling everybody that right now. Howard County's yeah, got us locked yeah. down up there. They're yeah. listening. Yeah. So yeah. So, Big Flow, maybe that's already a, a standard nickname. But Big Flow, um, I can't believe the motor, but I can't believe, you know, the new age term of being able to handle the ball real well is called wiggle. He's got some wiggle with the ball. Up and, up and down the court, there was a play in the third quarter where – you know, he got he got a, got the rebound probably at the top of the key and and dribbled it down and it was between three guys and then went and dunked it. Oldham did a chin up on the rim and to me he's six nine. The first video I saw of him was in his you know was was in his home country in Africa and he was outside and it was like a steel backboard 
And to think of that first video, and it was a dirt court. The first video I saw to watching him live at Kokomo High School. I was actually, I wasn't on site, but I was in Kokomo for my wife's family Christmas. Like, this kid's at Kokomo. I mean, this is just kind of right out of a, a great storybook. Um, to see him interact with his teammates, uh, this kid's going to be special, I think. I think he's going to be special. Did they describe you in the scouting report when you were playing against kids in Michigan that had two packs a day smoking habits as having wiggle? <laughs> yeah, that's Bedford, pal. That's Bedford. I was in the I was in the suburbs, the greater Detroit area. They didn't smoke cigarettes. Wiggle. Dane Five wiggle. has wiggle. I've never heard that. In Clarkston, Michigan, I'm sure you had uh, wiggle. Hey, I do have somebody tweeted at me one. Wanted you to talk a little bit about Matt Painter's team so far. What's your impression on that Jeez. group? Well, I went watched uh, paint. I went and watched Purdue practice. Um, I, obviously, I've seen a bunch of games. Try to watch a lot of Big Ten games. Um, Fletcher Lawyer actually is from my hometown. My dad coached him and his brother. Um, my dad actually, when he retired, that's when Fletcher decided to, that him and his family were going to move to Fort Wayne to Indiana. Um, but so so I. I know IU people won't like to hear this, but I kind of root for Purdue. Uh, because, one, I enjoy watching him play, but, two, I let Fletcher Lawyer, you know, I've got a best interest. But um, I think what you're, what, what you're seeing with Purdue is really the way Coach Painter and crew want to play. You know, they, 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 they come in and they wind you up. I call it winding you up with guys coming off screens in the half court. And then they decide whether they want to shoot it or punch it into a big, and it's really hard to prepare for because they have a they have so many plays. But that's the way the NBA is. Um, so it, it's not like a knock, it's not a knock. They they prepare you for the NBA. Um, but what they do is they get guys to buy in. They've got great role players. That's the thing that's impressed me the most <clears throat> is they have guys that really buy into their role and. I think they're going to be better than last year, provided their freshmen keep improving and they stay healthy. But um, this this is, to me, one of the most um, well-put-together Purdue teams in terms of guys buying in and in the bigger picture. I think they can be really good, and, and down the stretch, I think they can be a Final Four team. This, does this surprise you, not just in this age, but in – any age of playing time and I want my clock that these guys, at least to this point, and I asked Matt this when he's on the show last week, how difficult that is to navigate as a coach that has to be, but are you surprised these guys, as you put it, are all buying in with the amount of time that they're getting? That's, that's an, a great question, but a great observation the thing about coach painter is he's not recruiting five-star guys per se. They'll mix one in every once in a while. Here's the thing. When you recruit on honesty, which Coach Painter does, and there, there's a lot of coaches, but when you recruit on honesty, you don't that's, usually don't have those problems because they know the truth when they're, when they're coming in. And the truth is their son, um, you know, their player, he's, he's not a finished product, and they know where he stands. And they know that when they call, okay, this is exactly what we expected. Okay, Coach Painter said he wouldn't play a lot right away. He's not. Okay, now let's call Coach Painter and see 
what the situation is. So every step of the way, they understand that they're getting a fair shake, and I think that's what most people want. Problem is, is when your circle is so massive, to where one one bad apple or one bad voice in that circle infiltrates a player or a kid's head, and that's where you start to see the kid start to kind of second guess what the coaching staff's doing. So Dane Five with us. He's on his way to Bloomington to watch Elon and IU coming up later on tonight. You can look for him down at the Simon Scott Assembly Hall with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So did you know Matt Ishbia, who just uh, bought the Sons of the Mercury? Yep, I know Matt I know Matt well. What kind of dude is Matt, he? Uh, a great guy. Besides you know, an extremely rich dude. We'll start there. Extremely. If you haven't seen the Real Sports um, segment on Matt, one T, one T, not, not two T's. Matt Ishbia, one T, M-A-T. Um, if you haven't seen it on real sports, I think it's the most recent real sports. It's incredible, but it, it's, he runs his company. Like he'll give, he gives coach. It's like an infomercial on coach Izzo, how coach Izzo runs his program and all the way down to, you know, a fortune 500 company that's being ran like the way Izzo runs his basketball program. It's a fascinating thing, but Matt was around all the time. Um, when I was working at Michigan state, we're the same age. He was a walk-on at Michigan State. But, um, you know, he's got Mateen Cleaves working there. He's got Antonio's, a bunch of former Spartan greats. But that's what Michigan State does. You know, if it's not Matt Ishbia, it's, it's Dan Gilbert at Quicken Loans. It's not Dan Gilbert. Tom Gore's with the – but it's across the board. It's not just in sports. And so, um, Matt, I just saw Matt the other day. He was at the Pacer game um, watching Draymond, and we spent some time talking. Um, when they played the Warriors. But <clears throat> great guy. It'll be interesting how he kind of organizes the Phoenix Suns and see if he can do the same with Phoenix that he's kind of that he's done with um, United Shore just in terms of the management style. Yeah, that's that's something right now. I tell you what, he's 42. It makes me seem like a huge loser. I look in the mirror and go, well, you yeah. are a joke. Yeah. <laughs> you are. No, and, um, I already knew it, but it just uh, it confirmed it. I think yes. Well, at least you're employed. <laughs> you're you're having the time of your life right now, aren't you? Running around, hanging out. Well, yeah. I mean, I get free dinner tonight from from the '76 Club, so thank you for that. Nice. Uh, that's a big part. I mean, that's how I got my daughter to come with me. Oh yeah, is she going? Free she food, she she went with you right now. Well, no, but I got her to. I'm getting her to come to the game with me tonight. Oh, nice, <clears throat> because it's, it wasn't the free. It was the free desserts that enticed her. But um, it's uh, it's uh, it's yeah. I have had the time of my life being a dad, yeah. being a husband. It's it's been excellent, and I'm certified in insurance. Every insurance you can think of. So if there's shameless <laughs> plug for myself, if there's any insurance salesman out there that could use somebody a little help. I'm, uh, no, I got a, I got a dude for you up here, brother. I got a dude for you up here. I got the greatest dude of all time in Brian Near. Well, tell Brian, look, I, I'm expensive, but I, I take the Series 6 here soon. I'm just having the time of my life. I'm getting smarter. I don't feel like, you know, like a glorified gym teacher. Let's hey, put it that way. I, just, I know. I know it's different 
Um, but it, honestly, you, you do get to spend time with your family and probably notice things that you wouldn't get the opportunity to do. And, you know, beyond your, your career and what you love to do, there is something incredibly special about those particular moments and moments you would have probably missed had it been otherwise, you know? There's no question. You know, last year was the hardest I'd ever worked, you know, even working for Izzo. And time was just non-existent. But yeah. we all knew that going in. You know, we got, we're coming into a crappy situation. And we got to spend a little extra time. And um, so we knew that coming in. But, um, but you're right. Just having the opportunity to um, take my girls to school, to pick them up, you know, I was afforded that. My parents, they were both kind of in the, they were both teachers or in education, but they, there was always someone there when I got up and there when I got home, both of them. Um, and that was, you take for granted, but, but those are the things that, that kind of make somebody whole around, round somebody out. And, you know, I think my wife will say it's even more important for girls to have their dad yes so yes prominent in their life and but um it has been incredible and uh i'm thankful for that for sure yeah let's not get too sentimental no tears. i know we won't nothing nothing like that but uh man i know exactly what you're talking about there because i i have had the opportunity to take both my kids to school every day of their school existence and i would not have traded that for anything so there is something to it do you have a one meter rule of where you're not allowed to go within a meter of your child? My daughter, my 13 year old has a one meter rule. Like I'm not allowed to go within a meter of her on school grounds. Oh man. It is. I, you know, I, I used to say that to Blake all the time. I said, brother, I'm cooler than you are. I mean, yeah, you're, you're going to be, point. you're going to be like Fonzie cool. Just by like walking into Ron Colley with me here, man. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> you know, my parents used to have this giant conversion van, van that they, pick me up and drop me off sure yes yes yeah mine's not a mine's not a like a real cool car but it's not a van i mean come on honey look at the bright side i get that all the time when uh they're all you know playing games and talking and uh facetiming one another when she's in a room and i walk in and i get told to you know close the door on my way out before i even say a word so yes i know of of what you're talking about right here too hey by the way too when I, i let you go but um we got to go to a Brown County Music Center show sometime. Hey, and we'll, we'll pick in. a concert down there, and, and I'll get my friend Christian, and we'll go down there and, and see a Brown County Music Center show. Cool? I'd love to go. Yeah, you buy. That's good. You got that'd it, man. Great. You buy dinner. You buy the ticket. That'd be great. We're on it. Hey, great to hear Thanks. from you. Tell the family I said hello. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, sir. Go Hoosiers. It's uh, Dane Fife on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the Indianapolis Star, he is Joel A. Erickson, who fantastically covers the Colts. I'm curious, is Jeff Saturday, in this case, as the interim head coach, more of a future head coaching possibility upon his hiring for that gig of more of an informational, trusted mole for the owner? What has he been more as? What's being accomplished here, in your estimation? I, I I can only I can only go off of what he said, and he said he's trying to win games and trying to because it's going on his name, and he's going to uh, and he and he wants a chance at the job. If that's true, if all that stuff is true, and that's what he said from the podium, 
then then he's trying to win games, and they they're not doing that. I'm just curious about this though. If if Jim Irsay and Jeff Saturday really thought they were going to win games, did they really think they were going to win games starting when he did? with this group and especially the decision maker with Jim Mercy in mind. It just seems like you start Jeff Saturday off in an unattainable, unwinnable, especially in the court of public opinion with Colts fans position. Maybe, but the, the alternative, the alternative that, that you've been, has been suggested that he's in there to evaluate, you fired the head coach. There's no point in evaluating. You, you've given up on whatever was going inside the building at that point. Uh, in terms of evaluation. So I, I don't know what information he would learn that would change what he'd already done if, if he was somehow there to evaluate or whatever. So well, I, I have to go by what they said, which is we're, we, we see ourselves – or they said, we, I, I, I see us going in the wrong direction. I need to do something to stop it. You know, it's interesting about that. Joel A. Erickson, the star, joins us. <laughs> is it, it uh, seems like that if, if you wanted that information where I, I brought the alternative answer for you as well, a mole, informational mole, it seems like that you already pay people to tell you exactly what your team is like. So what 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 is the other you layer in which you might be looking for? Yeah. Yeah, you should know. I, I don't know. I don't know. What, I think the NFL Network suggested that when the hire was first made, and it never made sense to me. Um, it, it never made sense to me as something that, that held any water because they, they know what's going on in the building. They're there. Um, yeah, it, it didn't make sense to me at the time when they first floated that, and it doesn't make sense to me now. All right, what's your evaluation of Jeff Saturday since taking over with the one win and what has transpired the rest of the way up until this point? Uh, I he, he looks – he looks. I, I hate to put it like this, but he, he looks overmatched. I mean – uh, you know that they've they've been outscored eighty three to nine in the fourth quarter of games since then, and that's that's including the Raiders game. They, it was a six six fourth quarter in the in the Raiders game. They've been outscored eighty three to nine at a time when you're supposed to finish games. Um, it, I know I know that they've had some some faster starts, but it doesn't it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things whether you start fast or end or end terribly. The end result is they're one and four and. To me, I mean, like I said, he was brought in to, to – my understanding was he was brought in by what Erste said was that he was brought in to stop the the downward trajectory they've been on, and one in four is worse than where they were before that. So, to me, it just it hasn't been enough. Yeah. it it, um, it It's why I mentioned if Jim Mercer really wanted Jeff – to succeed or really wanted him to have that job. Now, you know, Mike Chappell, for example, uh, our mutual friend and colleague, does not agree with me on this. But I have said all along, if if you really want to start, give him a clean slate and then, you know, sell everybody on that in the offseason. We'll have time to wear it out as far as the topic in the offseason, and they'll see what happens with a team with a fresh start. But starting where he did, Joel, we all knew where this thing was going. Regardless, maybe not as bad as it was, for example, in the the second half, you know, on Saturday or the fourth quarter uh, a week prior to that on a Sunday night in Dallas. But we all knew where this was going. It just seems like you hired him and set him up for failure. If you were going to put somebody else in there and the same thing would have happened. He well, especially especially with what they did with the offense, where, you know, the offensive coordinator was already gone. The, the real architect of the offense is the person you fired when they were head coach. 
leaving them with, um, you know, in terms of in terms of experience and design on that side of the ball, not a lot. I mean, I I, I think that, you know, um, I think that some of the other guys on staff that that didn't end up taking the play calling role um, have have real futures in this league, especially Scotty Montgomery. But but it's you know they've said from the beginning they're short they're short staffed on the offensive side they've and then they've simplified it they've gone so simple that it feels um, like a shell of what the offense could be uh, you you weren't necessarily giving them a chance but they they didn't do that before when they I, you know I, I think when they when they first you know made the move to Ellinger and said it was going to be for the rest of the year the shock that the shockwave that that sent through the locker room and that that was the word that most players used shocking or some or some version of that it that that started something you know that started it in terms of uh, the season was headed one way and you've you've arrested it and said we're, we're kind of punting on what we were doing and I, I think that that plays a role in all this too so joel a erickson the star covers the colts he's with us via the andy moore automotive group hotline you mentioned that you you felt that especially late game situations jeff saturday looks um, overmatched, overwhelmed, my word, not yours, does Park Frazier, play-calling-wise, look the same? I Play-calling-wise, it, it just – so much of it is, is play-design, too. And, and play-calling-wise, they're running the ball so much, even when Taylor's out, that I don't, I don't fully understand that. I mean, I do understand that they're not good passing, passing the ball either. Um, but it, it just feels like it's, it's so run-run-pass and – so many of those runs are so short uh, that, that that you're putting it, you're ending up in the same situation that you didn't want to be before, which is third and long, where your offensive line has to go against um, pass rushers who are teeing off. Um, it, to me, it's 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 about it's it's about the as much the play design and what they've done with the offense in terms of simplifying it as it is as it is the play calling. It just doesn't feel like there's a lot going on. I mean, they did some end arounds and stuff like that. It, it's hard to see. I will say this. It's hard to see some of the some of the wrinkles if if it's not like an end around or something flashy, um, but but they like you know they how many tunnel screens did they run to Michael Pittman Jr. in the second half the other day? Um, they're just they're just not running a lot of stuff, and play calling wise, it, Parks Parks is probably like we we knew this when when he got promoted to the role he 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 was in the middle of grinding and paying his dues to get to the point where he could do this. But he wasn't anywhere near that spot. So to expect him to to be some kind of um, play calling genius that could fix this, I that was a that was a mistake to begin with. The idea that play calling was the only thing wrong with the offense that that was very clearly not the case. Uh, this this is an offense that has, has an offensive line that you can't call plays for, and so expecting expecting that change to fix everything. Whoever was doing that was a mistake. Has the uh, play calling book has it shrank because Matt Ryan is unable to do a lot of it in the passing game? Is that why we see this? Well, that what they've said is that, and they said this right from the beginning. They said, I mean, they they cited it as a reason that there was good for good for the Raiders game. Why they looked better against the Raiders was if you take some of the stuff off of everyone's plate, then you have less mistakes and you have. Um, and you have less uh, less of the issues that plagued them all season long. But ultimately, NFL defenses spend an awful lot of time during the week learning to identify what you're doing, and if you don't break those tendencies and you don't change those, 
Um, it's it's more than just it's more than just them throwing not throwing the ball downfield or anything or, or stuff like that. They, they're not running a, a, a lot of different things, whether it's a short short passing game or over the middle, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it, it just feels like it's it's probably making it easier on defenses to identify what they're doing. I give you a great example. Did did somebody just take Alec Pierce out of the mix on Saturday, or did the Colts do that? Did the arm of Matt Ryan do that? Did- he he didn't have Alec Pierce didn't have a great game. Uh, I, I felt like he had hadn't. I felt like when I noticed him and when they targeted him, I felt like he had he had some issues with positioning. I think you know going up against some of those experienced corners, you know Patrick Peterson's over there. I think he had a little bit of a rough game in terms of getting open downfield. But, you know, the flip side is I thought Pittman Jr. was open uh, with a better throw on the throw out of the goal line, and Ryan didn't get it there either. So, um, But Pierce's role just in general, not even just Saturday, but what they've done in terms of, you know, they've said they've said one of the biggest reasons they're not throwing downfield is they don't feel like they're, they're going to have the time more so than the arm. Like that's A lot of that stuff was what Alec Pierce was, was doing in training camp and what he was supposed to do. So even more so than Saturday, uh, I think what you've seen is the fact that they're throwing it so short has taken him out of the offense. It's, uh, Joey Erickson of the Star covers the Colts with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How how large of a net do you think they cast as far as the next head coach is concerned? And I know that, that Jim Irsay had made a couple of interesting comments about the collegiate head coaching ranks. You take and put any serious notion behind that, or is that just kind of the owner being the owner with information here? Well, usually when he says stuff like that, it's a hint. Um, he, he tends to he tends to he tends to hint like that. So I, I do think they're casting what what that looks like in terms of interviews and stuff like that. I, I don't know at this point, but uh, he he said it a couple different times now that they that they think that you can maybe turn over some stones that haven't been turned. So it, it could be an interesting set of interviews. Um, I mean, shoot, we've already seen it. They hired a guy to be the interim head coach <laughs> yeah. who wasn't on staff, which is something that never happened. So um, I, I, the lesson the lesson of this cold season is expect the unexpected, and, and, and precedent doesn't matter. That's, that's the lesson I've taken away from everything that's happened. Yeah, I just think at, at some point you keep swinging at this, it doesn't happen, then you better find yourself a bit of a groove here. And I, I can sit here and tell you right now, outside of what is not going to happen, but I think what would be certainly for this team and in the court of public opinion, a cure-all with a Jim Harbaugh hire or availability before that, which, again, is not going to happen. It's a pipe dream. It's a fairy tale. It won't happen. But outside of that, I don't look around the college ranks, especially with somebody that we're not thinking about right now, For Matt Campbell at Iowa State, for example, as any sort of solution here. Not at all. It hasn't worked a lot recently. I mean, if you look at the history of college coaches coming up, um, Recently, they, it, 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 they've been kind of underwhelming. I mean, Matt Rule just got fired. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is not doing well in Arizona, uh, despite having a quarterback. Uh, obviously, the, the Urban Meyer debacle that happened in Jacksonville last year. There, there's there's a lot more than that of, of guys who came up from the college ranks and didn't didn't do well. So, I mean, maybe who knows? Maybe there are some gems there. Maybe there's a Jimmy Johnson in there somewhere. But recent recent NFL history doesn't seem to suggest that it's as easy a jump to make as as it seems. I think the reason is pretty simple. In college, the head coach is the program. He is the program. He's the guy recruiting. He's the guy getting the talent. 
he sets it for everything. It doesn't work the same way in the NFL. There's a general manager there to get you talent. There's, uh, you know, an owner who's going to who's gonna drive things. It doesn't work that way in college. In college, the head coach is a god in some of these programs. It's just very different. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I mean, to me, if, if it's not something that really, really can change the dynamic, at least in my level of interest, and I realize that this is my personal sample size here, but if it's not that, then, you know, a coordinator that's been going through this, that is having success, especially an offensive one like that, would be the direction in which I would look before I'd look anywhere else. I, I think they, I mean, I, obviously, I mean, I think we all assume that it's going to be a young quarterback, and my my, I'd be trying to do whatever I could to uh, place support around him. We we've seen so much in the in the NFL about how much it matters to support a young quarterback when you get him, and so that's that's if if that really is where they're headed, if they're headed towards drafting a quarterback like we all think they are, every move from here on out should be made to support that player so they have a chance of success. Because when you don't support a player they end up out of the league really fast. Yeah, hey, I know this. I don't know how how big of an analytics guy you are, but I know you guys will occasionally keep track. Do we have any idea the number of times that maybe any any member of the scouting staff, any uh, Chris Ballard appearances might have been as far as what may end up being some of these available quarterbacks? Because honestly, this team is so crappy right now, they may end up losing their way into an opportunity to draft all but one of these guys. I, I don't put much stock into when they go places and where because um, they're going to end up finding a way to talk to everybody and get a look at everybody at some point or the other. Um, for every for every um, report there is, like last year when they went to Cincinnati and then obviously they drafted Pierce, um, for every report like that and talk about a visit like that, they did another visit somewhere else and the guy ended up getting drafted somewhere else. It's, it's one of the things that you learn, is like especially I think when I first started covering the Saints, we would try to track all the visits and stuff like that. And it never turned out into something that seemed meaningful. You'd get all these visits and especially like the, when they, when we get to the top 30 visits and they bring people in, a lot of times teams do that if they have significant questions about a player. And then after the visit, they go, okay, our questions, we still feel strongly about it. We're not going to do that. So it's hard to read too much into that for me. Yeah, Joel Erickson, the star, joins us. When you look at this team and the drafting of a quarterback, they're slowly moving up the ranks and those possibilities. You think there's a way that they can get all the way up there to to have their choice other than maybe one of those available quarterbacks coming up in April? I I don't. They're not going to get to one because I I don't think they can catch the Texans. Um, And the Texans obviously need a quarterback. But – as long as as long as there's, I mean, they're already pretty high up there. And as long as the teams in front of them, which which is this is possible that some of the teams that might be in front of them don't end up wanting a quarterback or needing a quarterback, uh, that helps. I mean, the Colts might still might have to trade up to make sure that they're going to get one because there's going to be other teams coming from behind them. But yeah, they're they're getting into the range now, and, and if they if they continue to lose, they'll be in a range where they can absolutely get to the second pick if they need to. Joel, before I let you go here, is there a a more, or in this case, the most logical reason in your mind, because I'm a complete non-believer in this, because after six years, I've seen enough, but is there a, a most logical reason, in your opinion, why 
Jim Irsay seems to be dead set on bringing Chris Ballard back because I do believe that he is. I disagree with it wholeheartedly, but I agree he is. But what would be at the top of that list of reasons why he would get another chance? I, I think you. I think you'd make the case that he's drafted well. Um, he's he's shown an ability uh, to understand value in terms of what he's trading away to get stuff and, and making the, the best out of some bad stuff. I mean, obviously, like this this is me answering your question. I, I think oh, I, I thought for a long time that they should be tied together. If you're, if you're firing the head coach, you're firing the GM, whatever. Um, but it, I think that's what you would say. And then Ursay, this is an Ursay thing. This isn't a me thing, but Ursay has said, and he said, you know, his defense of him at the press conference when they introduced Saturday was, you know, it was he was coveted when he got here. And people around the league, he, he said this before at the owners' meetings too, that people around the league really respect Ballard and what he does. Um, and so that's 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 Ursay's case, I think. I think those three things are what he would what he would use as the case. I, I could be wrong; he may have more. But um, yeah, I, I would I would that's what he tried to do. I would look at the results as being hopefully at the top of that list, and it doesn't appear that it is. Yeah, I. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I think from from my perspective, just you know, struggling to fill the most important positions in football, but also struggling to fill the positions that he considers most important: offensive line, defensive line. The collapse of the offensive line this year. The defensive line has been always kind of been at the one one level below where he he really wants it to be, um, and then the quarterback. Uh, it, you know, there, there's there's weapons and stuff like that. that. I think those are all the arguments against if you're looking at something other than results. Uh, but you know, again, this is like I said, this has been a this has been a a season of um, moves that we didn't necessarily see coming or didn't um, I guess didn't logically consider. So, you know, I, I think that the, the 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 stuff that I cited before that's that's Ursay's big biggest point. Yeah, a lot of things probably stand out to Jim Ursay more than they would anybody else because obviously he personalizes everything with this team. But it, did you think it, it comes down to that a year ago when he was sold by Frank Reich on Carson Wentz, that Ballard also had to be sold, so they were kind of both on the outside of what what Frank Reich was selling them. Thus, he doesn't get covered up by that misguided trade for Wentz, which clearly the owner probably hates about as much as any move has ever been made here. Yeah, I I mean I think that that's I mean given given everything that Ursula said about Wentz, I think that's that's a logical path to go down. Um I I don't know. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's what it is, but it does feel like and especially it felt like at that press conference at the evaluation of the GM and the head coach was very different. Yes. In in the owner's eyes. Yeah. I mean, listen, we all kind of this time of year grasp at straws until we we hear more, but if you know, you always hear about, well, this is a results-driven league and the results haven't been there. I'm not trying to fire anybody. I'm not, you know, mad at Chris Ballard, but if you're going to ask me if he deserves a 7th year, I can't sit here and honestly tell anybody that he does. The, the the interesting part is that if they're not going to make a move at GM, I think I think you're sticking with him 
Yes, uh, correct. Beyond, yes. beyond that. Because he's going to draft that next quarterback, and you're not going to get rid of him after a rookie season for your rookie quarterback. Well, and I think, that that's the, I think it's the right move. If you're going to stick with him, you have to stick with him because, I mean, you can't end up in a situation where uh, after a year that you've moved on from the GM and now the head coach that you have is still there and he's, you're bringing in a GM who didn't hire him and then you have the quarterback stuff. If you're doing it, you're sticking with it. And at least I, that's, that's the way it usually happens. It, it, it just happens so in the NFL for whatever reason that the head coach ends up taking a lot more than the GM. I mean, you've seen a lot of GMs in the league who haven't had a ton of success in, in terms of wins and losses. And they've been places through a couple of head coaches. Um, you know, Arizona's one where, where he's, he's gotten a chance to hire a couple of head coaches and had some failed quarterback stuff and, and stay stuck around. So, that's that's just sort of the way the league works. It's a results-driven league, but those results uh, tend to fall more on the shoulders of the head coach than the than the GM. One final thing, Joel, before I let you go, and thanks for coming on the show, is how, how much more of a gut punch is this season in embarrassment uh, to the owner and on down, considering the absolute flushing down the toilet that Tennessee's doing them, to themselves right now? Well, I mean, this this team. When when they made the first big move, when 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 they decided to to bench the starting quarterback and say they were going with the young guy, they were three three and one, and bypassed the the backup that the GM and the, the coach both liked. I know Foles has been has been ticketed as a right guy, but it, Ballard Ballard likes Foles too. Um, they were together in they were together in Kansas City. Um, and when when you made that move, you were three three and one, and now it's looking like something around 500 is going to end up winning the division. And you wonder if there's an alternate universe where you give them a chance to stick it out. Maybe they figure something out the way they had in previous years, if they're in it right now, but we're, we're so far beyond and past that in terms of record and where, where they are with the franchise because of the moves they made that that's, that's kind of just a what if at this point. You think, um, you, you think they'd look back on that Ellinger tryout that was obviously forced upon them by the owner as a changing point of the season, I I do. I mean, it, it's it's in the NFL. It, I mean, one of the things that we learned with some of their turnarounds previously was that things that players respond well to is like belief, staying the course, and and finishing out, and that's that's what worked in the past. And so this was the opposite, and that's that's what I thought was was maybe the the biggest most jarring thing about the quarterback move was. This isn't the way they've gone about getting out of holes in the past. The way they've gone about getting out of holes in the past was by, you know, digging in and finding something that worked with who they had. And it just felt so drastic that I think it's it, it sends that message to a locker room who's been through this before and knows that the way they got out of it before was by staying the course and figuring things out. Yeah, I would think right now, if you look back on it and the way that the season has gone, especially with Tennessee in mind, that if you're going to give a dude a tryout, you can give him a tryout right now. You don't give them a tryout at that point. And I know that, that that was forced upon them. So, and I'm sure everybody, as you mentioned, including that locker room, uh, did not dig that particular decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many people said shocked right after it that I think it, I think it was, it, it was hard to ignore. Right. And no doubt about that. Hey, man, I appreciate you jumping on here. You and the family have a fantastic holiday. And we'll see if we figure anything out by the time you're next on the show. Yeah, you bet. You and your listeners have a Merry Christmas. You got it, buddy. Thank you. It's a Joel A. Erickson of the Star on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. 
The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Oh, he is just way too happy. If you could just see the smile on this Vikings fan's face right now, we would laugh because it's probably 25 degrees below zero, but we won't be laughing long because it's going to be like that coming up Saturday here. Ben Brown of PFF, the data scientist, betting analyst, and more is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Surely to goodness, I didn't have to call you to crunch the numbers from one half to the other. And how Jekyll and Hyde, I mean, truly Jekyll and Hyde, that game Saturday in Minneapolis was. Yeah, I, uh, I, appreciate, I appreciate you having me on, JMV. I was, you know, I think this is what happens when you take, you know, a couple days off or whatever. The inmates start running the asylum or something like that. We are <laughs> we're feeling pretty good in Minnesota, I would say. So, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, to, to speak to the game, I'm still, I would say in some ways, I'm still processing it. Just like Indianapolis Colts fans are probably too from just the other side, right? Like the the way in which we arrived where we did at halftime, and then to see the second half kind of play out like it did, like it was uh, it was definitely one for the record books. That's for sure. All right, let's find what legitimate path was taken for Minnesota to get back into it. And listen, give credit where credit is due with Kirk Cousins and that offense, but he also threw a pick in the second half, so it wasn't completely clean but how much of it was on a Colts offense that just sucks in general and basically sucked in the first half and really 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 sucked in the second half that is basically what led Minnesota to that path back and then to have one for the record books on Saturday right yeah very very much so and I think you it goes back to you know how how is this Colts team built and set up to be successful. And it, it very much was, you know, the interior offensive lineman, Quentin Nelson getting the big contract, Jonathan Taylor being, you know, the number one running back that could kind of salt away some of these victories. And, and of course, Taylor got hurt, but it's like that's been the, the, the complete breakdown and the, the point at which the Indianapolis Colts have absolutely struggled. And, and not even to be able to, you know, generate any semblance of offense to the point where you can have, you, you, you don't even really need points at that point in time, right? You really need just a couple of sustained drives where you can move the sticks. And, and the, those were just so few and far between throughout the entire game, but it really came back to bite them in the second half. And it's, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but it's, you know, in some ways kind of an accurate representation of where this Colts team you know, currently is from, you know, both a, both a talent perspective and an ability to execute uh, and win football games. He's Ben Brown, a PFF Pro Football Focus, our betting analyst, our numbers analyst each and every week, every Tuesday here via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So offensively speaking, starting with the quarterback, Matt Ryan, how ugly are the numbers as we exit one week and then go into yet another primetime standalone, which is very exciting for the fan base around here, a Monday night or against the Chargers. Yeah, so this was, you know, from, from, from a passing perspective with Matt Ryan, obviously, uh, you, you know, not great. I would say, you know, definitely even, even, even though the fact that he's been, you know, below average, it, it was still very much a below average game from a PSF grading perspective. Uh, I think it was like his second lowest, you know, completion percentage that he's had so far this season uh, on a number of plays. And, and the fact that when you're playing the entire game from ahead, and, and in some ways you only need to hit some of the underneath type, uh, you know, options to move the sticks. Like it, it speaks to kind of like a complete lack of accuracy uh, sack three times, basically as well. I, I do think in some ways, you know, that's kind of the one strength for the Minnesota Vikings has been like their pressure situation, but 
you, you know, going from the fact where the, the, the Vikings secondary was completely torn apart against, you know, uh, somewhat of a middling or, or slightly above average, you know, uh, Detroit Lions team two weeks ago to, you know, not really getting any sort of offensive production from Matt Ryan and the Colts offense on Sun, uh, on Saturday. Like it, it speaks to, you know, just how low and in some ways below average this, this, this offense unit has been. Yeah, but among the quarterbacks, the the starters, yeah, I guess obviously Ryan hadn't started every game this year, but among the quarterbacks that, you know, predominantly have been starters, where does he rank? So he is um so I have we have a few different metrics. I would say, you know, from 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 specifically this week's perspective, he was um sixteenth basically, so right around league average. Um uh, kind of like, you know, 15th, 16th, basically from a PFF grading perspective, I think on the season, when you're looking at like PFF grade, and then, and then we try and do some other metrics where uh, we have one specifically that, you know, I, I think shines the light on, you know, how valuable, you know, players have been. Um, we have Matt Ryan as kind of like the 18th ranked quarterback on the season from this PFF war metric, which, which kind of tries to take into account, you know, both facets of play and just how valuable he has been to his actually t- actual team. So a little bit below league average, but um, you know, I, I think in some ways, like if you were if you were saying that Matt Ryan would give you league average quarterback play here, you would have at least expected the 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 Colts to kind of at least be in you know the hunt to at least win what is you know very much looking like a down uh, you know AFC South division right now. Yeah, it's uh, no doubt about that. Ben Brown is with us from PFF offensive line wise. How is it looking? at this point in the season. That is something obviously we've talked about ad nauseum with you. Uh, the numbers that were uh, pretty low throughout the the, uh, the early portion of the season sustained that low level. Where are they right now? Do you assess any improvements at any of those positions along that line? I think, you know, and, and, I, and you know, some of this obviously speaks to, um, you, you know, the, the matchup considerations with where they were at. Uh, you know, uh, against the uh, Minnesota Vikings, but we had them, you know, from, from a pass blocking perspective, I think this was like, you know, their, their fourth best pass blocking graded game of the season so far from a run blocking perspective, kind of right around where they've been all season. Though I would say it was very much like a, a, an average or median, you know, outcome for them from a run blocking perspective. So overall, you know, it wasn't, uh, I would say that the reason why they lost this game probably doesn't fall, you know, along the offensive line in this particular game. And they actually have been, you know, I would say somewhat steadily improving since um, kind of kind of started in that week 10 match against the Las Vegas Raiders, um, you know, from a, from an offensive standpoint, uh, you know, moving the football. So I think, you know, it's weird. And in some ways, you know, uh, it comes down to a number of different things, but I would say that, you know, at least from an offensive line perspective, like that—that's not the spot where this game, uh, I would say, fell apart for the Indianapolis Colts. All right, so where did it fall apart? In particular, in the second half, obviously the defense couldn't stop anybody. The offense couldn't produce anything. Uh, which would we put more of the blame on for what was just an embarrassing, ridiculous second half? Yeah, I would say I would say a lot of it is is both the pass rush considerations and also you know from a coverage standpoint, right? Like you know we were kind of expecting Stephon Gilmore to at least struggle at certain points, you know, with Justin Jefferson. That very much happened. Um, I, I would say overall, you know, you probably needed a little bit better performance from him. But the fact that you know guys like KJ Osborne 
had such big games, you know, from a receiving standpoint as well. It kind of speaks to, you know, maybe, maybe we don't really have that secondary cornerback position, you know, as solidified as we probably thought. And I think that's probably the main, the, the main issue with this one was the fact that, you know, we, there was really no, um, you know, no semblance of pass rush, especially in the second half, you know, from an Indianapolis Colts perspective uh, and then the coverage situation, which in some ways you maybe expect, you know, facing off against the best, you know, the best wide receiver in football. But uh, I would say this was, you know, right around like their fourth worst coverage grade uh, from a PFF grading standpoint so far this season. All right. So um, is that uh, new life in what a lot of people were skeptical about with this Vikings team and going down the stretch? I know they, they win the NFC North by virtue of that, but and not a lot of people are completely sold on this team, both sides of the football. Did it become even more sold, or did they believe that more of a Colts problem than it was just an accomplishment by their football team? Yeah, I think in some ways, you know, the way in which they at least got back, right, and, and the fact that it was, you know, kind of passing through the air when the Colts were very much expecting it and the, their capabilities still moving the football against what, you know, I, I think a lot of people consider at least to be, you know, a, a decent to above average defensive unit overall. Like, I think it probably in some ways, you know, boosts the, boost the outlook for the Minnesota Vikings uh, moving forward here because the, the way in which they kind of got behind was, you know, in some ways, random in some ways you know some fluky plays obviously you know Kirk Cousins throwing the pick six to kind of close out the half you know is a play that he absolutely can't make but you know the the punt block uh you know fumble recovery touchdown those things like like it's hard to I would say not see that as kind of a random play so to be able to kind of overcome a lot of that in the first half and show out and and do it through the air and passing the football against uh you know a, a decent defense like I think Overall, um, I think it definitely boosts the longer-term outlook for the Minnesota Vikings, even though they did fall behind, you know, 33 points at halftime or whatever it was. All right, uh, look across the board, NFC, AFC, over the course of the weekend numbers as we approach the end of the season, uh, who was most impressive in your mind? Yeah, I, I think, you know, from, from the NFC perspective, um, you know, very much I think, you know, the, the New York Giants winning that football game on Sunday night greatly in, improve their outlook, uh, you know, to get into the playoffs. PFF has them with like an 87, 88% chance of getting in. They do have a somewhat difficult schedule, but, you know, winning that football game very much puts them in, in, in not only the playoff race, but it could even, you know, cause them to be like the sixth seed and get, you know, uh, you know, a, a somewhat decent matchup against the Minnesota Vikings team or San Francisco 49ers team. So I think they are the, you know, ones that probably improved, you know, their, their playoff outlook the most. Detroit definitely got some things going in their direction as well uh, and, and very much kind of controls their own destiny. PFF has them with a, you know, 38% chance at making the playoffs. So there are, you know, you know, a number of options for some of these lesser NFC teams to, I would say, not only get into the playoffs, but, you know, kind of once they get there uh, to be able to maybe win some football games, given, you know, the warts that are very much present, I would say, at the top of the conference. All right. Interesting situation to a quarterback, Jalen Hurts, uh, with the injury situation and Gardner Menchu as the backup there. But I, I do want to concentrate on Hurts. Is he right now the absolute front runner for MVP in the NFL this year? So uh, from from a lot of people's perspective and from a betting market perspective yesterday before the injury news, he was definitely, you know, the odds on favorite. 
I would still personally probably have Patrick Mahomes uh, ahead of him. I think Mahomes has done more with less. Uh, I very much think Philadelphia, you know, outside of the quarterback position has the best roster in football from, from, from the top down. So I think, you know, uh, uh, giving Jalen Hurts the award, even though they've kind of won, even just because they've won a number of games and he has, I would say, exceeded expectations. I think that would be a little bit of, you know, a case of maybe like voter fatigue in Patrick Mahomes' direction. Because I do think, you know, without without Patrick Mahomes in the fold, the Chiefs are, you know, a, a bottom team in the AFC and probably looking at like a 3-14 and 14 record or something like that. But with him, they are once again legitimate Super Bowl contenders. So I think that part uh, of the award, and if you are actually talking about the most valuable player, like like that's why Patrick Mahomes, still is it in my eyes. And, and I do agree with the betting market moving in his direction, but we'll see. I think, you know, it, it kind of like what you said with, with Jalen hurts and, and Gardner Minshew probably getting at least one start, if not a couple starts here, like we are very much going to find out in some ways how valuable, you know, Jalen hurts actually has been to their success. Cause when you kind of remove that piece, you know, it, if they stumble, I would say down the stretch here, it, it speaks to probably a higher, you know, higher caliber, higher caliber, uh, you know, quarterback play than what they're capable of with Gardner Minshew, but also, you know, um, maybe doesn't give as much credit to Nick Sirianni, who is, you know, very much, I would say, you know, the, 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 the front runner for coach of the year right now. I'm curious, yeah, Justin Jefferson, you watch him all the time. He's putting up big numbers. And we know a year ago, Cooper Cup broke all these records and he sure as hell didn't win the MVP. But um, you think that the guys like this at the skill positions, you know, a couple of year ago, maybe Jefferson this year should be taking on more consideration for that award, considering what they, they offered, you know, Cup offered his team a year ago and what Jefferson's doing for the Vikings this year. Yeah, I, I think in those two particular cases, like you can very much make the case that they at least should be in the conversation, right? And even if they don't win it, like I don't think the, the quarterback position is so valuable and having that guy, and maybe there's a reason why he's not going to win it over, you know, Patrick Mahomes or even Jalen Hurts, but I still think that it might be crazy to say, but he is probably like the third most valuable, you know, player in football right now, given, given, given the direction for how, you know, the Minnesota Vikings have worked their way out. And I do think that, you know, especially with the accolades that Cooper cup got last year and all the record breaking things like those should in some ways maybe be taken into account as well when we're kind of evaluating this MVP discussion, because the, the discussion isn't like who is also most valuable to the team, but it's also like, you know, what can you get, from a player behind you that is very much supposed to be, you know, replacement level and how much better is that player? Uh, it, how much better is like the, the, the MVP candidate going to be than a guy that's replacement level. And I think the drop off from Justin Jefferson to, you know, a replacement level wide receiver might be greater than it is going from, you know, Jalen hurts to a guy like Gardner Minshew, I would say. Hey Ben, I'm going to make you go full born nerd here really quick. But if you were to take Justin Jefferson off, um, is he, is there a replacement for him um, if you were to do the same with Kirk Cousins? Is he the most irreplaceable, I guess I should ask, in terms of this nerdery here on that Vikings team? I think he is, yeah. I, I think that, you know, the the, the the Vikings could get 75% of the way there without Kirk Cousins in the fold. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, if they have Kirk Cousins and he's thrown to guys like Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson and KJ Osborne that, they're anywhere close to where they've been right now. Right. Cause I think, you know, in crucial points in tough times, Justin Jefferson has been that guy and he's been, you know, targeted 
and gotten the contested catches consistently. And I think that, you know, that valuation is just not going to happen for, I would say even a league average wide receiver at this point in time. So I'm, I'm leaning in Justin Jefferson's direction. That might be wrong here, but uh, I, I still think that a lot of the success for, for what the, what the Vikings have been able to do uh, is a big representation of how good he actually is. I know you get an offensive player of the year award. So I guess that kind of cushions the blow a little bit, but I wouldn't mind. I mean, I really wouldn't mind if you could, you know, look at the level of importance and what a team has done and how it corresponds to another position other than quarterback. Yeah, I think that'd be new and fresh for me. Yeah. It's never going to happen that way again in all likelihood, but at the same time, I think it would be refreshing. Right. It very much would. And like you said, we have the offense player, you know, uh, consideration and stuff like that, but uh, I think, you know, even like the separation with what Justin Jefferson provided, you know, compared to everybody, you know, else in all of the positions, like he is, you know, very much the most valuable non-quarterback. And, and I think that's, you know, probably the reason for why he at least deserves, you know, some discussion in this manner, I would say. So Ben Brown of PFF with us every Tuesday via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Any other numbers that stand out to you that we haven't talked about, whether it's with the Colts or any other team in the NFL as we wind down the backstretch here this regular season? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you guys, you don't probably want to hear it, but Trevor Lawrence, I would say, is, is the maybe another cause for concern with uh, from the Indianapolis Colts perspective. I think he's PFFs, you know, by far his highest graded quarterback since week nine, you know, beating out guys like, like we've discussed, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow even. So uh, the future, I would say, in Jacksonville seems to be arriving ahead of the schedule. We have them with, you know, a 37% chance of, um, you know, getting into the playoffs. Obviously, that week 18 match with Tennessee looms large, but, uh, you know, it, it's a case where they are, you know, in some ways, I would say trending in the right direction and look like, you know, uh, a, a, a team that, you know, the Colts had to figure out how to beat here, you know, in subsequent seasons, if they do kind of want to get back, you know, into this into this discussion about how good they can make it and how far they can make it in the playoffs. Yeah, they're going to get um, here, what, next year, more than likely, you're going to have Trevor Lawrence, you're going to have Bryce Young, and you're going to have Malik Willis. And then I guess you're going to maybe right. have, what, Will Levis here, somebody like that. So there's going to be your quarterback matchups in 2023. Just a theory of mine. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I, I will be interested. I mean, that's going to be the discussion here coming out is like, what, what can the Colts do at the quarterback position? Cause there's no way they can head into, you know, 2023 with kind of this, the same retreat, um, you know, veteran option that they've been doing, you know, recently. So it'll be interesting what they, uh, what they end up doing. I am interested in what you're hearing as far as if they are, you know, maybe going to go. Well, you got to. You, you, you the guy at the top end of the first round. You, you got to. And I, I've, listen, this is unfair of me to say, and I don't want this to skew anybody's opinion out there, but I watched Will Levis play against Georgia, and uh, he sucked. And then everybody told me he didn't have any weapons right. like he did last year. And I, hell, I don't know. I didn't watch him last year. I don't know. But he just, against NFL caliber talent at home in Lexington, he didn't do anything for me. He didn't give me a sports arousal by any stretch. Right. Yeah. I, I'm definitely in the same boat as you with Will Levis. I think he's, you know, a, a guy that very much is going to look really good here in gym shorts. 
um, you know, throwing the football in, in, with no elbow, with no shoulder pads on or anything like that at the combine. And, and you know, that's very much what I think a lot of people expect, but uh, I, I would much rather go in, in maybe a different direction at the quarterback position if that's, you know, the, the number one option for the Indianapolis Colts right now. Yeah, we'll dive into that a little bit more in the weeks to come. And that, that was, I want to make it clear, that was a, a completely unfair evaluation of a dude that I saw once. So I don't want anybody to say, oh, man, well, you know, clearly you're because that's what I saw. And it was against not not even the level of defensive NFL talent that they had a year ago. But that was this this year. And then people that watch him on a regular basis told me that he didn't have a lot of guys around him. Well, he didn't look like he had anybody around him, and he didn't do much for me then. But I'm sure that has, that's an unfair evaluation out of one game for one dude for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I think it, 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 it'll be interesting because I think he's going to be a very polarizing NFL draft prospect coming up here, right? And what, and what you kind of base your, um, you know, what, what you're kind of trying to identify and, and what you're looking at you know, is very much going to speak to what, what, where and how you have him actually ranked. But right now, you know, I, I would much rather look at a guy in the second round or third round, you know, as opposed to selecting Will Levis, Will Levis as high as they're probably going to have to if they do want to go that direction. All right, my friend. I appreciate you. It's great having you back. Have a fantastic holiday. And uh, we'll get it locked and loaded again next Tuesday and see what happens after that Monday night. And we get to talk about another primetime standalone with the Colts coming up on Monday night. Are you excited about it? I'm excited. I I mean, I'm tuned in to every single one here. So, uh, you know, any football at this point, uh, I love it. So I'll be, I'll be tuned in. I'll be ready here. I hope you have, you know, a great and safe holiday season as well. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. You too, buddy. Thank you, Ben. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Greg Rakestraw joins us. Post-game show host of the Colts. Got four days off surrounding Christmas with uh, the fam at home and then is doing like 12 play-by-play games in one day or something like that, aren't you, after that? Well done. Somebody was listening to the morning show today, weren't Yeah, listen. I'm taking notes, man. I'm taking notes, brother. Come on. So I've, I've uh, (laughs) I've got games tonight and tomorrow night. Then I am off until the Colts Monday night game. Yeah. And then starting next Tuesday, I will knock out 12 games in four days because we at ISC have 29 games in four days starting next Tuesday night with Cathedral and Warren Central. Oh, so you're doing that in four days? I thought you were doing it a day. You've done this before. No, this is like Greg uh, Rakes throw 101 right here. I, I thought you were doing I it in one done, day. I've done five basketball <laughs> games in, or five baseball games in one day as my max. I will do all eight of the Hall of Fame Classic games in Newcastle. So I'll have back-to-back quadruple headers. Is that good enough for you? Yeah, that's nice. Matt okay. Ishbia, do you remember that player from Michigan State? No, I, I just heard your discussion on it. And uh, much like you, I'm familiar with other Matts, but I did see the fact that dude dropped just $4 billion to pick up a couple of franchises. Yeah, I was wondering where he got that business from. And Greg tells me that he inherited that business from his dad right there. Oh. So well done. The well done. The book to, to make money. Get it from your mom oh, and dad. Oh, man. Makes me feel like a loser, baby. So that's it. Dude, you got 40 acres wait on you in Green County. What are you talking about? <laughs> as soon as they pass legalized marijuana around here, I'm rolling in it. You know that, don't you? It's going to be the Saturday night show, and that's it. Retiree <laughs> JMB. <laughs> It'll be like one big weed commercial about me growing it, one right after the other.
is what it's going to be. Of course, by the time they legalize it, I'll be long dead by then. So what are you going to do? be 420 on jmb show 420 on my show all right you do have a high school game later on tonight correct too and i i don't know a great deal about the kid from kokomo uh flory uh Idunga, i believe is how you pronounce his name i do know that everybody's chasing after him the who's who of college basketball coaches and the kid is beyond legit he is fantastic and i was just having a conversation with dane fife in fact before uh before talking with you and, and he had a chance to call it for us on ISC on Saturday night when they beat Carmel by a bucket. Um, so many because it's just the, the last great big that we think about in Indiana high school basketball and in this area, trying to compare Flory to, say, a Greg Oden. And Dane said, no, I think the, the more apt comparison, when he said them like the light bulb just went off, it's comparing to Sean Kemp in terms of the athleticism and the mobility and the height. But the fact that we're dropping Odin and Kemp and you don't get laughed out of the conversation when talking about a kid that's a junior at Kokomo High School tells you just how ridiculous the potential for this kid is. And, you know, the points are impressive at 20 points a game. 13.5 rebounds, second best in the state. He's averaging 5.9 blocks per game. They've already had to replace one rim at Kokomo High School this year. It may not be the last. That's with breakaway rims, too. So he is something special. I had a chance to see him play Ben Davis a couple of weeks ago. Looking forward to calling one of his games for the first time when they take on Zionsville this evening. Free stream on ISC Sports Network. And if you're a Comcast subscriber, you can watch it on Channel 81. Yeah, we got to get him down to Southport High School and loosen up those rims a little bit. <laughs> they had six games of the Forum Tip-Off Classic to loosen those up a couple of weeks ago. So hopefully those are now nice and softened up for you. Did Doty do some dunking on it? I was That was my request. I said, these things just aren't like what they used to be around here. They're way too unforgiving for my old ass. Zane put his 6'8", 2 or 3-pound frame on it a couple of times. What he did not do, though, was allow Xavier Booker then to dunk on it a couple of times in, in their victory against Cathedral some 10 days ago. Let me tell you this. I, I said this to Bob Lovell on Friday. If there is a more impressive team of the state out of the gate than Ben Davis, help me find it. Now, Ben Davis is legit. And while Ben Davis doesn't necessarily have the star power of a Xavier Booker or a Jerron Tibbs or a Flory Bedunga or a Marcus Burton, they are so deep, one through eight, one through nine. And these are all kids that played varsity basketball a year ago. They had a couple of three seniors that were kind of on the fringe of the rotation. But they bring back their entire starting five, and then the first two or three guys off the bench are kids that got experience last year as well. So Zane Dowdy of this group is is the best player, going to play at Valparaiso. He's an Indiana All-Star, and he, much like Flory Badunga, will average a double-double uh, as the year goes along. K.J. Wyndham, who's hurt right now, rolled an ankle in the victory against Cathedral and missed their last two games. Um, you know, he may be a higher-level recruit as of next year. Mark Zachary's a sophomore. I think probably his future is in football more so than basketball, but he's a high-level athlete as a sophomore. But, no, there are other teams that probably have better individual players. There is no team that is anywhere near as deep as Ben Davis is at this midway point of the season. By the way, I love any comparison to Sean Kemp because when I went to that 88 final between Concord 
and Muncie Central. I have never, ever seen anything like that. It was one of the best games ever. Now, you know, and again, you get Chandler Thompson and Sam Long on the other side of of, of Kemp and, and Jamar Johnson, who was a sophomore at the time. But it was, for somebody you didn't see a lot of that growing up in southwestern Indiana, it was an absolute dunk show for the ages. Love it. Well, I mean, just think about, you know, Chandler Thompson's best dunk would come two years later. And when you say, hey, Sean Kemp's team was not the most athletic one on the floor, that should get your attention. That's what that championship game was like back in 88. Yeah, it was incredible. Greg Rakestraw joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't know if you have too much info in the background, but Indiana State on Saturday played at Duquesne, or as we pronounce it in southern Indiana, Duquesne. Uh, He played at uh, Duquesne. They played at Duquesne and evidently were assessed a technical to start the game because they did not have their score sheet in at the deadline because the bus driver got lost in Pittsburgh. (laughs) Is this true? Do you know anything of this story? This this is the first I have heard of this. Am I just making this up? As, no, as someone that has that has traveled for years in college basketball, the nine years I spent doing the IUPUI games, that is altogether possible. And you don't think about this when coaching in college basketball, but sometimes you are reliant on your bus driver. So the only intelligent response I can give you on that is, um, when I was at IUPUI and we were playing at Southern Utah, we would stay in Vegas. We would practice at the Thomas and Mack Center. We would drive up day of the game. Well, one year we had a bus driver that um, we thought was a little impaired. Uh, he may have found that 40 acres of weed you were talking about earlier uh, in, in the conversation. Right. Uh, and so it was a little, little longer trip to get to Cedar City, Utah, than we had planned. The bus broke down. Uh, On the way there, uh, we had a tire that went out. Rim was starting to spark a little bit. And um, my my hand to God, man tried to... um Man tried to put out the fire on the tire with his own fire hose, if you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, and so we were, thankfully, in those days, you had media guides where that had, like, press row phones. And so I grabbed a cell phone. I had that number and said, hi, you know, this is who I am. Yeah, we're out on exit 211. Uh, we're about five miles away. Our bus broke down. Somebody may need to come and get us. And so they sent a bus. They sent squad cars. I arrived at the game in the back of a cop car. Uh, we started the game about 25 minutes late. They thankfully did not assess us a technical, and we won the game by four points. So I understand that yeah. there are planes, trains, and automobiles moments that happen in college basketball. Well, this this came from Todd Golden, who is a longtime great writer at the Tribune Star covering yeah. the Sycamores. No longer does, but was fantastic in doing it. Uh, the game began strangely when officials called an administrative technical foul on Indiana State before the opening tip-off for not submitting its starting lineup soon enough. This came after the team's bus driver experienced difficulty maneuvering through Pittsburgh to get to the field house. He must have got somewhere hung up on the Allegheny or Monongahela. Uh, It is certainly possible. Uh, I had a game that started one time because of a player dunking in warm-ups. IUPUI got... A, got two technicals to start the game, made one, missed one. Then also, because of the technical, there was not an opening tip. They got possession of the ball to start the game. There was never a, there was never a center jump in that game. We then scored a three like six seconds in. We began the game with a 4 nothing lead with six seconds to go. That was a victory at Seton Hall 
for IUPUI my last year of doing the games on the road, 2008 and 2009. So, yes, things like that happen in college basketball, John. Does this rule exist at the high school level, too? I do not think so, but it is rare that a team would be late getting to a game just because, you know, in in my world, you always have the JV game before the varsity. Like the one time that I remember something like that that happening, like when you have these single-day shootouts, like I think at the All-State Sneakers for Santa shootout last year, like the 1.30 game or the 11.30 game started like like 20 minutes late because the team was late getting there coming down from Gary. And so you have situations like that. It is rare that happens in a regular season game. Let's Greg Rakestraw, who joins us. Let's move over to IU. Two top-ranked programs, two big-time losses. What has been discouraging about the past two against Arizona and Kansas for you about that team, Greg? Just the fact that against the uh, cream of the crop, the Blue Bloods, of which IU is aspiring to get back to, uh, and a team that was talking about a Final Four, deep tournament run, et cetera, well, those are the types of teams that you have to be competitive with. And IU wasn't competitive with either of those two teams. And so, you know, we all kind of looked past the fact that this Indiana team just barely scraped by in terms of making the NCAA tournament and barely won a playing game before then getting throttled in a traditional first-round game. We all kind of pushed that to the side because of the amount of experience that was returning to this Indiana team and the caliber of freshmen that was coming in. It seems that, all right, that experience will make them better and they will continue to improve from last year to this year, and I'm not so sure they're improved. They appear to be the same team that's good enough to be an NCAA tournament team, but not good enough to be a difference-making NCAA tournament team. And that's what is striking me after these last two Saturdays. Other side, Boilermakers, your thoughts on Matt's team continue to roll. They got some pushback, don't get me wrong, from Davidson here in downtown Indy on Saturday, but still prevail with a lot of the same stuff that we have seen to get them now to the number one spot this season in college hoop to begin with. Do I think they're the number one team in the country? Probably not. Do I think they're far better than we thought they were going to be going into the season? Yes. Um, are, Are they going to have some fits and starts in Big Ten play because they are so young in the backcourt, yes. As much as I believe in Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, they'll have some learning moments. Um, they're not going to run the table in the Big Ten. I know that's a hot take, breaking news level thing. It's not going to happen. At the end of the day, are, do I even think they're a number one seed? Probably not. But are they maybe a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament? Yes. And if you had said that before the beginning of the year, nobody would have believed you. So, They're a much better team than we thought going in. I think they're probably a little over-ranked or rated right now, not because of the strength of their schedule. They deserve to be number one based on what they've done to this point. They'll pick up some losses in Big Ten play. But let's face it, it, it is still going to be about what can this group do in March, even if expectations were not as high for them coming into this season. All right, so Jonathan Taylor placed on IR. Surprises nobody. Season over. Incredibly disappointing, especially compared to the type of in, in a, uh, MVP caliber conversationally speaking uh, that we had him down for a year ago with the numbers he put up. Yards on the ground, touchdowns, all that. Where do you think his value is going to be moving forward once he gets that next contract? Well, again, I, I think I think what you have to find the balance of is making him one of the top paid running backs in the National Football League 
but knowing that the top-paid running back in the National Football League isn't the same as a top-paid quarterback in the National Football League, isn't the same as a top-paid wide receiver in the National Football League, and maybe even other premium positions. For as dynamic of a playmaker as Jonathan Taylor is, he is still playing at a position where you can typically find a replacement value for pennies on the dollar. And so knowing he's going into his final year as a second-round pick of his rookie deal, I'm sure there will be some momentum, some requests, some asks from player and agent to renegotiate and go and get an extension done. And if the Colts want to make him a top two or three paid running back in the National Football League, I got zero qualms with that, especially if it's a two- or three-year deal. Um, but if, if you're getting into quarterback and wide receiver money, that's where you need to have a hard conversation about saying, hey, just how much are you willing to pay for this position? And I know that maybe the Colts have spent money above a, a player's particular position over the past couple of years, and given kind of how things are going right now, perhaps it's time to revisit some of those conversations. Really quickly, Jeff Saturday, interim head coach, because Jim Irsay wants him to be the coach, wanted him to be the coach, or more of an informational mole for Jim Irsay. What, what are we looking at right now as far as Saturday's concerned? I honestly have no earthly idea. Um, it, 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 it's just, you know, we, we saw the kind of, the, kind of the, the one game improvement, and then we've gone back to reverting to kind of what this team was. And so, you know, it, it was a left field hire for sure. Um, but has it had a great impact? No, it's not. Um, and so now it's a matter of, you know, Jeff has said he wants to continue. Does Jim want him to continue? Does he want him to continue in a different role? Time will tell. And even even if we know what the end result of this season is going to be, there's still 20 days left before it officially becomes the off season. And could we see decisions change and minds made and unmade in those next 20 days? Yes, I could, just given the nature of Jim Irsay. So I'm not trying to, to, to uh, walk away from your question. Sure. My honest take is I have no earthly idea because I'm not sure those decisions have been made just yet, John. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Always a pleasure, my friend. You and the family have a fantastic Christmas, and we'll talk again on a busy week coming up for you next week. A happy belated birthday. Thank you, brother. And you enjoy your upcoming last Saturday off as we put you back to work on New Year's Eve. We're coming. Coming at you New Year's Eve. Thank you, Greg. See you, pal. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline.